Scene five, chapter three of No Name. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Wiebke Müller. No Name by Wilkie Collins. Scene five, chapter three. There was a pause of a few minutes while Mrs. LeCount opened the second of the two papers which lay before her on the table, and refreshed her memory by looking it rapidly through. This done, she once more addressed herself to Noel Vanstone, carefully lowering her voice so as to render it inaudible to any one who might be listening in the passage outside. "'I must beg your permission, sir,' she began, "'to return to the subject of your wife.' I do so most unwillingly, and I promise you that what I have now to say about her shall be said, for your sake and for mine, in the fewest words. What do we know of this woman, Mr. Noel, judging her by her own confession when she came to us in the character of Miss Garth, and by her own acts afterwards at Elborough? We know that if death had not snatched your father out of her reach, she was ready with her plot to rob him of the Combe Raven money. We know that, when you inherited the money in your turn, she was ready with her plot to rob you. We know how she carried that plot through to the end, and we know that nothing but your death is wanted at this moment to crown her rapacity and her deception with success. We are sure of these things. We are sure that she is young, bold, and clever, that she has neither doubts, scruples, nor pity, and that she possesses the personal qualities which men in general, quite incomprehensibly to me, are weak enough to admire. These are not fancies, Mr. Noel, but facts. You know them as well as I do. He made a sign in the affirmative, and Mrs. LeCount went on. Keep in your mind what I have said of the past, sir, and now look with me to the future. I hope and trust you have a long life still before you, but let us for the moment only suppose the case of your death, your death leaving this will behind you which gives your fortune to your cousin George. I am told there is an office in London in which copies of all wills must be kept. Any curious stranger who chooses to pay a shilling for the privilege may enter that office, and may read any will in the place, at his or her discretion. Do you see what I am coming to, Mr. Noel? Your disinherited widow pays her shilling, and reads your will. Your disinherited widow sees that the Coombraven money, which has gone from your father to you, goes next from you to Mr. George Bartram. What is the certain end of that discovery? The end is that you leave to your cousin and your friend the legacy of this woman's vengeance, and this woman's deceit vengeance made more resolute, deceit made more devilish than ever by her exasperation at her own failure. What is your cousin George? He is a generous, unsuspicious man, incapable of deceit himself, and fearing no deception in others. Leave him at the mercy of your wife's unscrupulous fascinations, and your wife's unfathomable deceit, and I see the end as clearly as I see you sitting here. She will blind his eyes as she blinded yours, and in spite of you, in spite of me, she will have the money. She stopped, and left her last words time to gain their hold on his mind. The circumstances had been stated so clearly, the conclusion from them had been so plainly drawn, that he seized her meaning without an effort, and seized it at once. "'I see,' he said, vindictively clinching his hands. "'I understand, Lecount. She shan't have a farthing. What shall I do? Shall I leave the money to the Admiral?' He paused and considered a little. "'No,' he resumed. 
there's the same danger in leaving it to the admiral than there is in leaving it to george there is no danger mr noel if you take my advice what is your advice follow your own idea sir take the pen in hand again and leave the money to admiral bartram he mechanically dipped the pen in the ink and then hesitated you shall know where i am leading you sir said mrs lecount before you sign your will in the meantime let us gain every inch of ground we can as we go on i want the will to be all written out before we advance a single step beyond it begin your third paragraph mr noel under the lines which leave me my legacy of five thousand pounds she dictated the last momentous sentence of the will from the rough draft in her own possession in these words the whole residue of my estate after payment of my burial expenses and my lawful debts i give and bequeath to rear admiral arthur everard bartram my executor aforesaid to be by him applied to such uses as he may think fit signed sealed and delivered this third day of november eighteen hundred and forty seven by noel vanstone the within-named testator as and for his late will and testament in the presence of us is that all asked noel vanstone in astonishment that is enough sir to bequeath your fortune to the admiral and therefore that is all now let us go back to the case which we have supposed already your widow pays a shilling and sees this will there is the Coombe Raven money left to Admiral Bartram, with a declaration in plain words that it is his to use as he likes. When she sees this, what does she know? When she sees this, what does she do? She sets a trap for the Admiral. He is a bachelor, and he is an old man. Who is to protect him against the arts of this desperate woman? Protect him yourself, sir, with a few more strokes of that pen which has done such wonders already. You have left him this legacy in your will which your wife sees take the legacy away again in a letter which is a dead secret between the admiral and you put the will and the letter under one cover and place them in the admiral's possession with your written directions to him to break the seal on the day of your death let the will say what it says now and let the letter which is your secret and his tell him the truth say that in leaving him your fortune you leave it with the request that he will take his legacy with one hand from you and give it with the other to his nephew george tell him that your trust in this matter rests solely on your confidence in his honour and on your belief in his affectionate remembrance of your father and yourself you have known the admiral since you were a boy he has his little whims and oddities but he is a gentleman from the crown of his head to the sole of his foot and he is utterly incapable of proving false to a trust in his honour reposed by his dead friend meet the difficulty boldly by such a stratagem as this and you save these two helpless men from your wife's snares one by means of the other here on one side is your will which gives the fortune to the admiral and sets her plotting accordingly and there on the other side is your letter which privately puts the money into the nephew's hands the malicious dexterity of this combination was exactly the dexterity which noel vanstone was most fit to appreciate he tried to express his approval and admiration in words mrs lecount held up her hand warningly and closed his lips wait sir before you express your opinion she went on half the difficulty is all that we have conquered yet let us say the admiral has made the use of your legacy which you have privately requested him to make of it sooner or later however well the secret may be kept your wife will discover the truth what follows that discovery she lays siege to mr george 
all you have done is to leave him the money by a roundabout way there he is after an interval of time as much at the mercy as if you had openly mentioned him in your will what is the remedy for this the remedy is to mislead her if we can for the second time to set up an obstacle between her and the money for the protection of your cousin george can you guess for yourself mr noel what is the most promising obstacle we can put in her way he shook his head mrs lecount smiled and startled him into close attention by laying her hand on his arm put a woman in her way sir she whispered in her wiliest tones we don't believe in that fascinating beauty of hers whatever you may do our lips don't burn to kiss those smooth cheeks our arms don't long to be round that supple waist we see through her smiles and her graces and her stays and her padding she can't fascinate us put a woman in her way mr noel not a woman in my helpless situation who is only a servant but a woman with the authority and the jealousy of a wife make it a condition in your letter to the admiral that if mr george is a bachelor at the time of your death he shall marry within a certain time afterward or he shall not have the legacy suppose he remains single in spite of your condition who is to have the money then put a woman in your wife's way sir once more and leave the fortune in that case to the married sister of your cousin george she paused noel vanstone again attempted to express his opinion and again mrs lecount's hand extinguished him in silence if you approve mr noel she said i will take your approval for granted if you object i will meet your objection before it's out of your mouth you may say suppose this condition is sufficient to answer the purpose why hide it in a private letter to the admiral why not openly write it down with my cousin's name in the will only for one reason sir only because the secret way is the sure way with such a woman as your wife the more secret you can keep your intentions the more time you force her to waste in finding them out for herself that time which she loses is time gained from the treachery by the admiral time gained by mr george if he is still a bachelor for his undisturbed choice of a lady time gained for her own security by the object of his choice who might otherwise be the first object of your wife's suspicion and your wife's hostility remember the bottle we have discovered upstairs and keep this desperate woman ignorant and therefore harmless as long as you can there is my advice mr noel in the fewest and plainest words what do you say sir am i almost as clever in my way as your friend mr bygrave can i too conspire a little when the object of my conspiracy is to assist your wishes and to protect your friends permitted the use of his tongue at last noel vanstone's admiration of mrs lecount's expressed itself in terms precisely similar to those which he had used on a former occasion in paying his compliments to captain Wragg what a hat you've got were the grateful words which he had once spoken to mrs lecount's bitterest enemy what a head you have got were the grateful words which he now spoke again to mrs lecount herself so do extremes meet and such is sometimes the all-embracing capacity of the approval of a fool allow my head sir to deserve the compliment which you have paid to it said mrs lecount the letter to the admiral is not written yet your will there is a body without a soul an adam without an eve until the letter is completed and laid by its side a little more dictation on my part a little more writing on yours and our work is done pardon me 
the letter will be longer than the will we must have larger paper than the note-paper this time the writing-case was searched and some letter-paper was found in it of the size required mrs lecount resumed her dictation and noel vanstone resumed his pen balliol cottage dumfries november the third eighteen hundred and forty seven private dear admiral bartram when you open my will in which you are named my sole executor you will find that i have bequeathed the whole residue of my estate after payment of one legacy of five thousand pounds to yourself it is the purpose of my letter to tell you privately what the object is for which i have left you the fortune which is now placed in your hands i beg you to consider this large legacy as intended under certain conditions to be given by you to your nephew george if your nephew is married at the time of my death and if his wife is living i request you to put him at once in possession of your legacy accompanying it by the expression of my desire which i am sure he will consider a sacred and binding obligation on him that he will settle the money on his wife and on his children if he has any if on the other hand he is unmarried at the time of my death or if he is a widower in either of those cases i make it a condition of his receiving the legacy that he shall be married within the period of mrs lecount laid down the draft letter from which she had been dictating thus far and informed noel vanstone by a sign that his pen might rest we have come to the question of time sir she observed how long will you give your cousin to marry if he is single or a widower at the time of your death shall i give him a year inquired noel vanstone if we had nothing to consider but the interests of propriety said mrs lecount i should say a year too sir especially if mr george should happen to be a widower but we have your wife to consider as well as the interests of propriety a year of delay between your death and your cousin's marriage is a dangerously long time to leave the disposal of your fortune in suspense give a determined woman a year to plot and contrive in and there's no saying what she may not do six months suggested noel vanstone six months sir rejoined mrs lecount is the preferable time of the two a six months interval from the day of your death is enough for mr george you look discomposed sir what is the matter i wish you wouldn't talk so much about my death he broke out petulantly i don't like it i hate the very sound of the word mrs lecount smiled resignedly and referred to her draught i see the word decayed written here she remarked perhaps mr noel you would prefer it yes he said i prefer decays it doesn't sound so dreadful as death let us go on with the letter sir she resumed her dictation as follows in either of those cases i make it a condition of his receiving the legacy that he shall be married within the period of six calendar month from the day of my decease that the woman he marries shall not be a widow and that his marriage shall be a marriage by bands publicly celebrated in the parish church of ossory where he has been known from his childhood and where the family and circumstances of his future wife are likely to be the subject of public interest and inquiry this said mrs lecount quietly looking up from the draught is to protect mr george sir in case the same trap is set for him which was successfully set for you she will not find her false character and her fool's name fit quite so easily next time no not even with mr bygrave to help her another dip of ink mr noel let us write the next paragraph are you ready yes mrs lecount went on 
if your nephew fails to comply with these conditions that is to say if being either a bachelor or a widower at the time of my decease he fails to marry in all respects as i have here instructed him to marry within six calendar months from that time it is my desire that he shall not receive the legacy or any part of it i request you in the case here supposed to pass him over altogether and to give the fortune left you in my will to his married sister mrs girdlestone having now put you in possession of my motives and intentions i come to the next question which it is necessary to consider if when you open this letter your nephew is an unmarried man it is clearly indispensable that he should know of the conditions here imposed on him as soon if possible as you know of them yourself are you under these circumstances freely to communicate to him what i have here written to you or are you to leave him under the impression that no such private expression of my wishes as this is in existence or are you to state all the conditions relating to his marriage as if they emanated entirely from yourself if you will adopt this latter alternative you will add one more to the many obligations under which your friendship has placed me i have serious reason to believe that the possession of my money and the discovery of any peculiar arrangements relating to the disposal of it will be objects after my decease of the fraud and conspiracy of an unscrupulous person i am therefore anxious for your sake in the first place that no suspicion of the existence of this letter should be conveyed to the mind of the person to whom i allude and i am equally desirous for mrs girdlestone's sake in the second place that the same person should be entirely ignorant that the legacy will pass into mrs girdlestone's possession if your nephew is not married in the given time i know george's easy pliable disposition i dread the attempts that will be made to practise on it and i feel sure that the prudent course will be to abstain from trusting him with secrets the rash revelation of which might be followed by serious and even dangerous results state the conditions therefore to your nephew as if they were your own let him think they have been suggested to your mind by the new responsibilities imposed on you as a man of property by your position in my will and by your consequent anxiety to provide for the perpetuation of the family name if these reasons are not sufficient to satisfy him there can be no objection to your referring him for any further explanations which he may desire to his wedding day i have done my last wishes are now confided to you in implicit reliance on your honour and on your tender regard for the memory of your friend of the miserable circumstances which compel me to write as i have written here i say nothing you will hear of them if my life is spared from my own lips for you will be the first friend whom i shall consult in my difficulty and distress keep this letter strictly secret and strictly in your own possession until my requests are complied with let no human being but yourself know where it is on any pretence whatever believe me dear admiral bartram affectionately yours noel vanstone have you signed sir asked mrs lecount let me look the letter over if you please before we seal it up she read the letter carefully in noel vanstone's close crammed handwriting it filled two pages of letter-paper and ended at the top of the third page instead of using an envelope mrs lecount folded it neatly and securely in the old-fashioned way she lit the taper in the inkstand and returned the letter to the writer seal it mr noel she said with your own hand and your own seal she extinguished the taper and handed him the pen again address the letter sir she proceeded to admiral bartram st crux in the marsh essex now add the words and sign them above the address 
to be kept in your own possession and to be opened by yourself only on the day of my death or decease if you prefer it noel vanstone have you done let me look at it again quite right in every particular accept my congratulations sir if your wife has not plotted her last plot for the combe raven money it is not your fault mr noel and not mine finding his attention released by the completion of the letter noel vanstone reverted at once to purely personal considerations there is my packing up to be thought of now he said i can't go away without my warm things excuse me sir rejoined mrs lecount there's the will to be signed first and there must be two persons found to witness your signature she looked out of the front window and saw the carriage waiting at the door the coachman will do for one of the witnesses she said he is in respectable service at dumfries and he can be found if he happens to be wanted we must have one of your own servants i suppose for the other witness they are all detestable women but the cook is the least ill-looking of the three send for the cook sir while i go out and call the coachman when we have got our witnesses here you have only to speak to them in these words i have a document here to sign and i wish you to write your names on it as witnesses of my signature nothing more mr noel say those few words in your usual manner and when the signing is over i will see myself to your packing up and your warm things she went to the front door and summoned the coachman to the parlour on her return she found the cook ready in the room the cook looked mysteriously offended and stared without intermission at mrs lecount in a minute more the coachman an elderly man came in he was preceded by a relishing odour of whisky but his head was scotch and nothing but his odour betrayed him i have a document here to sign said noel vanstone repeating his lesson and i wish you to write your names on it as witnesses of my signature the coachman looked at the will the cook never removed her eyes from mrs lecount you'll no object sir said the coachman with a national caution showing itself in every wrinkle on his face you'll no object sir to tell me first what the document may be mrs lecount interposed before noel vanstone's indignation could express itself in words you must tell the man sir that it is your will she said when he witnesses your signature he can see as much for himself if he looks at the top of the page ay ay said the coachman looking at the top of the page immediately his last will and testament ach sirs there's a sair confronting of death in a document like you our flesh is grass continued the coachman exhaling an additional puff of whisky and looking up devoutly at the ceiling take those words in connection with that other scripture many a quiet but few are chosen take that again in connection with revelations chapter the first verses one to fifteen lay the whole to heart and what your wealth then dust sir and your body scripture again clay for the potter and your life scripture once more the breath of your nostrils the cook listened as if cook was at church but she never removed her eyes from mrs lecount you had better sign sir this is apparently some custom prevalent in dumfries during the transaction of business said mrs lecount resignedly the man means well i dare say she added those last words in a soothing tone for she saw that noel vanstone's indignation was fast merging into alarm the coachman's outburst of exhortation seemed to have inspired him with fear as well as disgust. He dipped the pen in the ink and signed the will without uttering a word. The coachman, descending instantly from theology to business, 
watched the signature with the most scrupulous attention and signed his own name as witness with an implied commentary on the proceedings in the form of another puff of whisky exhaled through the medium of a heavy sigh the cook looked away from mrs lecount with an effort signed her name in a violent hurry and looked back again with a start as if she expected to see a loaded pistol produced in the interval in the housekeeper's hands thank you said mrs lecount in her friendliest manner the cook shut up her lips aggressively and looked at her master you may go said her master the cook coughed contemptuously and went we shan't keep you long said mrs lecount dismissing the coachman in half an hour or less we shall be ready for the journey back the coachman's austere countenance relaxed for the first time he smiled mysteriously and approached mrs lecount on tiptoe you'll no forget one thing milady he said with the most ingratiating politeness you'll no forget the witnessin as well as the drivin when you pay me for my day's work he laughed with guttural gravity and leaving his atmosphere behind him stalked out of the room lecount said noel vanstone as soon as the coachman closed the door did i hear you tell that man we should be ready in half an hour yes sir are you blind he asked the question with an angry stamp of his foot mrs lecount looked at him in astonishment can't you see the brute is drunk he went on more and more irritably is my life nothing am i to be left at the mercy of a drunken coachman i won't trust that man to drive me for any consideration under heaven i'm surprised you could think of it lecount the man has been drinking sir said mrs lecount it is easy to see and to smell that but he is evidently used to drinking if he is sober enough to walk quite straight which he certainly does and to sign his name in an excellent handwriting which you may see for yourself on the will i venture to think he is sober enough to drive us to dumfries nothing of the sort you're a foreigner lecount you don't understand these people they drink whisky from morning to night whisky is the strongest spirit that's made whisky is notorious for its effect on the brain i tell you i won't run the risk i never was driven and i never will be driven by anybody but a sober man must i go back to dumfries by myself sir and leave me here leave me alone in this house after what's happened how do i know my wife may not come back to-night how do i know her journey is not a blind to mislead me if you know feelingly count can you leave me in my miserable situation he sank into a chair and burst out crying over his own idea before he had completed the expression of it in words too bad he said with his handkerchief over his face too bad it was impossible not to pity him if ever mortal was pitiable he was the man he had broken down at last under the conflict of violent emotions which had been roused in him since the morning the effort to follow mrs lecount along the mazes of intricate combination through which she had steadily led the way had upheld him while that effort lasted the moment it was at an end he dropped the coachman had hastened a result of which the coachman was far from being the cause you surprise me you distress me sir said mrs lecount i entreat you to compose yourself i will stay here if you wish it with pleasure i will stay here to-night for your sake you want rest and quiet after this dreadful day the coachman shall be instantly sent away mr noel i will give him a note to the landlord of the hotel and the carriage shall come back for us to-morrow morning with another man to drive it the prospect which those words presented cheered him he wiped his eyes and kissed mrs lecount's hand 
"'Yes,' he said, faintly. "'Send the coachman away, and you stop here. "'You good creature, you excellent Lecount. "'Send the drunken brute away, and come back directly. "'We will be comfortable by the fire, Lecount, "'and have a nice little dinner, and try to make it like old times.' His weak voice faltered. He returned to the fireside and melted into tears again under the pathetic influence of his own idea. Mrs. LeCount left him for a minute to dismiss the coachman. When she returned to the parlour, she found him with his hand on the bell. "'What do you want, sir?' she asked. "'I want to tell the servants to get your room ready,' he answered. "'I wish to show you every attention, LeCount.' "'You are all kindness, Mr. Noel, but wait one moment.' It may be well to have these papers put out of the way before the servant comes in again. If you will place the will and the sealed letter together in one envelope, and if you will direct it to the admiral, I will take care that the enclosure so addressed is safely placed in his own hands. Will you come to the table, Mr. Noel, only for one minute more? No. He was obstinate. He refused to move from the fire. He was sick and tired of writing. He wished he had never been born, and he loathed the sight of pen and ink. All Mrs. LeCount's patience and all Mrs. LeCount's persuasion were required to induce him to write the Admiral's address for the second time. She only succeeded by bringing the blank envelope to him upon the paper-case and putting it coaxingly on his lap. He grumbled, he even swore, but he directed the envelope at last in these terms. To Admiral Bartram, St. Crux in the Marsh, favoured by Mrs. LeCount. With that final act of compliance his docility came to an end. He refused, in the fiercest terms, to seal the envelope. There was no need to press this proceeding on him. His seal lay ready on the table, and it mattered nothing whether he used it or whether a person in his confidence used it for him. Mrs. LeCount sealed the envelope, with its two important enclosures placed safely inside. She opened the travelling bag for the last time, and, pausing for a moment before she put the sealed packet away, looked at it with a triumph too deep for words. She smiled as she dropped it into the bag. Not the shadow of a suspicion that the will might contain superfluous phrases and expressions which no practical lawyer would have used, not the vestige of a doubt whether the letter was quite as complete a document as a practical lawyer might have made it, troubled her mind. In blind reliance, born of her hatred for Magdalen and her hunger for revenge, in blind reliance on her own abilities and on her friend's law, she trusted the future implicity to the promise of the morning's work. As she locked her travelling bag, Noel Vanstone rang the bell. On this occasion the summons was answered by Louisa. "'Get the spare-room ready,' said her master. "'This lady will sleep here to-night. "'And ere my warm things, this lady and I are going away to-morrow morning.' The civil and submissive Louisa received her orders in sullen silence, darted an angry look at her master's impenetrable guest, and left the room. The servants were evidently all attached to their mistress's interests, and were all of one opinion on the subject of Mrs. LeCount. "'That's done,' said Noel Vanstone, with a sigh of infinite relief. "'Come and sit down, LeCount. Let's be comfortable. Let's gossip over the fire.' Mrs. LeCount accepted the invitation and drew an easy chair to his side. He took her hand with a confidential tenderness, and held it in his while the talk went on. A stranger, looking in through the window, would have taken them for mother and son, and would have thought to himself, what a happy home. The gossip, led by Noel Vanstone, consisted as usual of an endless string of questions, and was devoted entirely to the subject of himself and his future prospects. Where would LeCount take him to when they went away the next morning? Why to London? Why should he be left in London while LeCount went on to St. Crux to give the Admiral the letter and the will? 
because his wife might follow him if he went to the admiral's well there was something in that and because he ought to be safely concealed from her in some comfortable lodging near mr loscombe why near mr loscombe ah yes to be sure to know what the law would do to help him would the law set him free from the wretch who had redeceived him how tiresome of lecount not to know would the law say he had gone and married himself a second time because he had been living with the wretch like husband and wife in scotland anything that publicly assumed to be a marriage was a marriage he had heard in scotland how excessively tiresome of lecount to sit there and say she knew nothing about it was he to stay long in london by himself with nobody but mr loscombe to speak to would lecount come back to him as soon as she had put those important papers in the admiral's own hands would lecount consider herself still in his service the good lecount the excellent lecount and after all the law business was over what then why not leave this horrid england and go abroad again why not go to france to some cheap place near paris say versailles say saint germain in a nice little french house cheap with a nice french bonne to cook who wouldn't waste his substance in the great spot with a nice little garden where he could work himself and get health and save the expense of keeping a gardener it wasn't a bad idea and it seemed to promise well for the future didn't it lecount so he ran on the poor weak creature the abject miserable little man as the darkness gathered at the close of the short november day he began to grow drowsy as keithel's questions came to an end at last he fell asleep the wind outside sang its mournful winter song the tramp of passing footsteps the roll of passing wheels on the road keyed in dreary silence he slept on quietly the firelight rose and fell on his wizen little face and his nervous drooping hands mrs lecount had not pitied him yet she began to pity him now her point was gained her interest in his will was secured he had put his future life of his own accord under her fostering care the fire was comfortable the circumstances were favourable to the growth of christian feeling poor wretch said mrs lecount looking at him with a grave compassion poor wretch the dinner hour roused him he was cheerful at dinner he reverted to the idea of the cheap little house in france he smirked and simpered and talked french to mrs lecount while the housemaid and louisa waited turn and turn about under protest when dinner was over he returned to his comfortable chair before the fire and mrs lecount followed him he resumed the conversation which meant in his case repeating his questions but he was not so quick and ready with them as he had been earlier in the day they began to flag they continued at longer and longer intervals the keys door together toward nine o'clock he fell asleep again it was not a quiet sleep this time he muttered and ground his teeth and rolled his head from side to side of the chair mrs lecount purposely made noise enough to rouse him he woke with a vacant eye and a flushed cheek he walked about the room restlessly with a new idea in his mind the idea of writing a terrible letter a letter of eternal farewell to his wife how was it to be written in what language should he express his feelings the powers of shakespeare himself would be unequal to the emergency he had been the victim of an outrage entirely without parallel a wretch had crept into his bosom a viper had hidden herself at his fireside where could words be found to brand her with the infamy she deserved he stopped with a suffocating sense in him of his own impotent rage he stopped and shook his fist tremulously in the empty air 
Mrs. LeCount interfered with an energy and a resolution inspired by serious alarm. After the heavy strain that had been laid on his weakness already, such an outbreak of passionate agitation as was now bursting from him might be the destruction of his rest that night and of his strength to travel the next day. With infinite difficulty, with endless promises to return to the subject and to advise him about it in the morning, she prevailed on him at last to go upstairs and compose himself for the night she gave him her arm to assist him on the way upstairs his attention to her great relief became suddenly absorbed by a new fancy he remembered a certain warm and comfortable mixture of wine eggs sugar and spices which she had often been accustomed to make for him in former times and which he thought he should relish exceedingly before he went to bed mrs lecount helped him on with his dressing-gown then went downstairs again to make his warm drink for him at the parlour fire she rang the bell and ordered the necessary ingredients for the mixture in noel vanstone's name the servants with the small ingenious malice of their race brought up the materials one by one and kept her waiting for each of them as long as possible she had got the saucepan and the spoon and the tumbler and the nutmeg grater and the wine but not the egg the sugar or the spices when she heard him above walking backward and forward noisily in his room exciting himself on the old subject again beyond all doubt she went upstairs once more but he was too quick for her he heard her outside the door and when she opened it she found him in his chair with his back cunningly turned towards her knowing him too well to attempt any remonstrance she merely announced the speedy arrival of the warm drink and turned to leave the room on her way out she noticed a table in a corner with an inkstand and a paper-case on it and tried without attracting his attention to take the writing materials away he was too quick for her again he asked angrily if she doubted his promise. She put the writing materials back on the table, for fear of offending him, and left the room. In half an hour more the mixture was ready. She carried it up to him, foaming and fragrant, in a large tumbler. "'He will sleep after this,' she thought to herself as she opened the door. "'I have made it stronger than usual on purpose.' He had changed his place. He was sitting at the table in the corner, still with his back to her, writing. This time his quick ears had not served him. This time she caught him in the fact. "'Oh, Mr. Noel, Mr. Noel,' she said reproachfully, "'what is your promise worth?' He made no answer. He was sitting with his left elbow on the table and with his head resting on his left hand. His right hand lay back on the paper with a pen lying loose in it. "'You drink, Mr. Noel,' she said in a kinder tone, feeling unwilling to offend him. He took no notice of her she went to the table to rouse him was he deep in thought he was dead the end of the fifth scene end of scene five chapter three